Good morning. And to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. To those who, like me, no longer have your father with you, my heart goes out to you. I'm excited to teach in this series, Jesus Said. I hope you have learned a lot as I have and your spiritual life has been enriched by the lessons we received. You know, the Bible talks about how Jesus has the words for life, um, the words for a full life, and the words for eternal life as stated at the end of chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. So this is the best thing we could ever do to listen to what Jesus said. Today I'll be teaching this lesson with my brother and fellow elder Larry Craig. I'm excited and honored to teach with Larry. He is my father in faith. His life shows a commitment to pleasing God and to imitating Christ that's worthy of my following. He's not perfect, but the fruit of his tree is pretty amazing. Now, Sheridan preached last week, and he talked to us about God, our everlasting father, and how he is the perfect father because he sacrifices and gives. Today's lesson will be based on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and in verse 36. And I'll read. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Wow. <laughs> now that's a bumper sticker. I mean, literally, do not fear, only believe. I mean, I think I could use that in so many parts of my life and so many times in my life. But let's go back to the beginning of the story. In verse 22, I'll read. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I think the best part of the story is that last sentence. Jesus went with him. you got to love the fact that Jesus and God responds to the needs in our life. But last week we focused on God's love. This story is about a man, a father, his love for his daughter, and how Jesus responds. So let's unpack this story. You know, a synagogue ruler, that's somebody looking after the synagogue building, building or service of worship. It could be a board member or an official in charge of arranging the services. In cities other than Jerusalem, the synagogue was the center of the Jewish worship during the time of Christ. And Jesus, as it says in the Gospels, uh, went to the synagogue as was his habit. He was a good Israelite. Um, later on in the rest of the Gospel, we read about how Peter and Paul also went to synagogues and interacted with synagogue rulers. Pretty significant one in, in one of the stories. This ruler is over a synagogue in Capernaum, and Jesus would frequently go to it. We, we know he did. Um, he moved, Jesus moved his ministry from Judea to Galilee. There's a whole story around that. It was very wise. Um, but in Mark chapter 1 and in verse 21, we read, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. 
this is Jairus's synagogue. And then in, in uh, Matthew 4, um, verse 13, we read, Leave, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. So this is the area he's living. So, of course, he's in that synagogue. Everything happened in the synagogue. You know, this point in time where we're reading about Jairus and his daughter, and I hope you're, you're like dive into scriptures and get excited and interested, intrigued and peel onions. What did he do? Why did he do that? You know, et cetera. This is about two to two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. As I said, he had moved it by then to Galilee. So he's probably been in Galilee at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And many people at this point had heard and seen what Jesus could do. Matter of fact, um, Jesus was known by this point for his physical uh, healing and spiritual salvation. In verse 27 of Mark 5, as we were reading it, the woman who sort of inter interrupts Jairus, a whole other story, but you know, it says in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Again, she heard about him. Now we know um, Jairus didn't just hear about him. He was teaching in his synagogue. He was um, actually uh, involved in activities in his synagogue. He was asked to, in order to teach, he had to be asked to teach because Jesus' hometown synagogue was back in Nazareth, which by the way wasn't that far from here. For me, it's been exciting the past 16 months and encouraging and amazing to see those that have heard and learned of Jesus virtually over Zoom and YouTube and all the other platforms out there. And then we see them at the end of our Sunday service uh, making their decision to give their life to Christ following falling at the feet of Christ. You know, this probably reminded you, as it did me, of my path to Christ, that it began with hearing. I visited uh, a church similar to this one uh, for about a year and was pretty amazed with the teaching and, and amazed that people were actually taking notes. I'm like, what is going on? Is there a test? Can I kind of be ready for it? I don't know. Uh, but, but I didn't make a decision to come to Jesus. It wasn't until I got married, so I'm, I'm in my late 20s, I'm married, and probably about four months into my marriage, uh, I realized, just like Jairus did, something's dying. And in this case, it's my marriage, <laughs> and it's because of me, my sin. Uh, and so I came and fell at the feet of Jesus, and he, he came with me. <laughs> So Jairus' daughter is dying. And in Luke and Matthew, where they also talk about this encounter, they give a little bit more detail. One is that this is his only child. So that's important. This is everything. This is, there's nothing more. Um, and, and that she's 12 years old. So this is not some baby. This is, this is a person that he has spent 12 years with and has a personality and has desires and dreams and interests. I remember my kids at 12 and there's so much activity um, involved and so much to their character and their nature at that point. And so this loss is pretty significant. The potential loss is pretty significant. Um, Glenn and I just went back to California to celebrate our 35th anniversary. And at that time, part of why we went back was to spend time with a couple we had been close to for 30 years, whose daughter at the age of five, we had gotten close to, and she called us Uncle Al and Aunt Glenda. And people sort of stared at that because she had 
you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. But the sad part of the story is during COVID, his 30-some-year-old daughter died. And so we got to go back and basically spend some grieving time with them, and it was grieving. There's nothing more painful and humbling than, than losing a child or thinking you're about to, as in Jairus' case. You know, as the phrase says, who you going to call? You know, serious sickness is beyond all of us. Many of us have experienced that uh, over the past 12 months, and we're humbled, and we're overwhelmed, and we see that it's unfair. And Jairus sees all that and comes and falls at Jesus' feet. He is empowered. This, this explains the, and shows the desperation that Jairus is feeling. And the love that he has for his daughter. Love, love is, is an action, not just a feeling. It can provide the motivation to cause you to change things. It caused me to come to Christ to change my marriage. You know, if we look closely at the story of Jairus, we see that the power of love gives us the courage to overcome two things, people and pride. You know, in Mark 5, verse 21, it says that when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. When Jairus shows up in verse 22, you know, he's not like, Nicodemus. He's not coming at night. Clearly, Jairus is not unknown in Capernaum. He's, he's the ruler of the synagogue in a very important and visible position. There is no doubt that people are watching this, staring at this, looking at him coming to Jesus and falling before him. Uh, he had to feel and know, even before he came, that they were going to say negative things about him. Um, perhaps you remember when you first came to Christ. Um, how the crowd looked at you and what the crowd said to you, your family, your friends, your crew, your posse, your roommate, maybe even your spouse. You know, I remember it. And, and it was a time of decision. Am I going to overcome the crowd? And for me, yes, the love of my marriage and my wife and even my life and what turned out to be a love for God uh, gave me the ability to overcome, and I know it did for you. And it's giving Jairus the same thing right here. You know, love is the greatest motivator, as the Bible says. And it motivated Jairus to ignore the crowds. The second thing was pride. And this speaks to the value that Jairus placed on his position and the benefits that came from us. And that's, by, by the way, that's true for all of us. We have We take pride in our positions and our things and etc. As it says in verse uh, First John chapter two uh, verse sixteen, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. Jairus, he had to overcome pride. He had earned the respect of the community and a position of respect, and they thought very highly of him. He had to, as they say, swallow his pride to sacrifice it for his daughter's potential healing and salvation. There would be no takebacks. You know, many in the crowd would never respect him after this, as, as we saw happen to Jesus and his apostles and disciples. Um, and 
that crowd were going to have people who were loyal to the Pharisees and would go back to them and tell them what had happened. And the Pharisees had considerable influence over the local synagogues and the rulers. Um, they dictated the way the synagogue could preach, and it had to be according to their interpretation. Jesus did not fit in this. Uh, if you look at Matthew 7:29 and 23:1, and in Mark 2:16, you'll you'll see some of what I'm saying here. The Pharisees they were they were a much higher ranking than Jairus, and they could come down from Jerusalem at any time, and they were bold enough to challenge Jesus directly and put people out of the synagogue. Hopefully you remember overcoming pride in your life. You know, as we just read, the power of love gave Jairus the courage to overcome people in pride. The power of Jesus' love for us is meant to keep us motivated, uh, overcoming those things and doing acts of love. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, compels us to keep overcoming in the face of COVID, pandemic, racial injustice, financial hardship, overwhelming bad news. You know, how's your love doing? Matthew 24, 12 says, and because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Has yours grown cold? It is time to remember and answer the call for repentance that Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. In Revelations 2, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You're forsaking the love you had at first. Consider her fall you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You know, I like the New Living Translation. It's a lot simpler, but specific. It says, but I have this against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Let us get back to our first love, the love that we see here in Jairus at the beginning of the story. And now my brother and father in the faith, Larry Craig will tell you the rest of the story. Good morning again. Thank you, Al, for uh, those words. I appreciate Al so much. He's a very significant and vital part of our elders team. And we are very grateful that God brought him and Glenda uh, to the New York City Church a number of years ago. Happy Father's Day again to our dads, granddads, and I know we have a few great granddads in our fellowship. Happy Father's Day. We hope it's a wonderful day for all of us. I do want to say before I go on, thank you for your outpouring of love for our special contribution. Uh, thank you for giving. We're, we're ahead of where we were at this time last year, and it's very encouraging that we will be able to do the things that we believe God wants us to do uh, to make a difference in the lives of others. We're going to pick up on this story of Jairus and his daughter and Jesus in just a moment in verse uh, 35. I believe that Jesus is asking us in this story essentially what he asked Jairus. Will you live by fear or by faith? Jairus certainly had reasons to fear in the beginning of this story. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. 
And in his desperation, with expectation, he sent for Jesus. Hoping, believing that Jesus could heal her. And as we've seen, Jesus was delayed by another healing as he made his way there. And before he got there, the messengers came to Jairus. It's too late. She's dead. Certainly, Jairus' face must have shown the crestfallen, heart-wrenching look of a man who had just lost his 12-year-old daughter. Sorrowful, disappointed. Our hearts go out to those of you who have lost children. It's so unnatural. We expect to lose our parents or maybe even our siblings before ourselves, but not our children. I love the role of dad. We have uh, nine grandchildren. Uh, You can see their picture. The oldest is 22. The youngest is nine. This picture actually was made the last time we were together, Christmas of 2019. Uh, COVID has kept us separated. But uh, this week, our family from California is coming in and will be joined by our family from Pennsylvania and our family here for a few days of great time together. But their fears, what will the world look like as they all grow up, as they had children? What will the church look like? And we have a lot of fears that are unrelated to parenthood. We have the somewhat big picture fears about climate change, climate change or our uh, political situation or what, what's happening in the world and, and uh, racial, social injustice. And then sometimes those fears become much more personal about some of those issues or financial issues or health concerns. There are many things that cause us to be afraid. Jesus' message to Jairus is the same as his message to us today. Don't be afraid. Just believe. It's challenging sometimes. I last spoke to our assembled group here on Sunday in January. And the topic then was, don't worry about tomorrow. We worry because we're afraid. And I've noticed that between January and June, some of those situations that can cause me to be afraid have gotten worse. Some have gotten better. All are still unknown. But Jesus, the Bible says, ignored the messengers and looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid is the most consistent charge, the most frequent 
command throughout the Bible. Because God knows we can be consumed by our fears. Don't be afraid, just believe, does not mean ignoring reality. The situations that we face are real. For Jairus, his daughter was gone. There were reasons to be afraid when he sent for Jesus, and even more, as he found out that she had died. Sometimes the little children have fears that we consider irrational, afraid to go to sleep because there might be a monster under the bed. But as we grow, we know that our fears are based in real situations. We believe by faith that Jesus has the answers. Our stories may not have the immediate happy ending this story does. Because as we know, as we read a little farther, Jesus did raise this girl from the dead and presented her back to her extraordinarily happy parents. But God has a timetable. And God loves us. And we have to have faith in spite of doubters around us sometimes. These messengers who came undoubtedly were friends of Jairus. They were members of his synagogue. They were people who looked up to him and honored him and were trying to protect him. But they had lost hope and they said to him, it's over. Sometimes the people around us help us with our faith. Sometimes they don't. I love our church. I love God's plan to put us together as a community so that we can help each other, encourage each other, lift up each other's arms, sometimes correct and give each other perspectives that we needed. Our Christian relationships, friendships are so meaningful and valuable. But they're no substitute for our personal faith and encounters with Jesus. Because sometimes even the spiritual people around us don't have the faith that I need personally or that you need. Sometimes through the years, in my relationships, spiritual relationships even, I had a script in my mind of what somebody was supposed to say, how they were supposed to react in a certain situation, how they were supposed to react to me. And it was disappointing when they didn't. Because somehow, the people around me don't know the script I've written for them. And neither do I know the script they may have written for me. And so I will disappoint you too, perhaps. We appreciate each other. But sometimes our faith is going even beyond what people around us see or think about our lives, about the church, 
about the future? Jesus says, just believe. Have faith. Don't be afraid. That's the message for us today. And as we take communion, we see Jesus overcoming his fear of the cross by faith. Certainly in the garden as he agonized over what was going to happen. He must have felt fear knowing the pain, knowing the separation from God, knowing all that was going to happen. And yet, the Hebrew writer says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the passage says, because he believed what God his Father had said the outcome would be. And so as we take communion, we reflect, we renew our commitment to Jesus. We are grateful that we do not have to live by fear, but we can live by faith. And that we are forgiven by faith because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you that uh, Jesus overcomes our fears. Thank you that the ultimate sacrifice was made by him on the cross. Thank you for his body, his blood, what he did for us. Thank you for this time to remember. Thank you for this time to recommit ourselves to you and to him. Bless us as we take the bread, as we take the cup, as we acknowledge our indebtedness to him, to you. Thank you. Thank you for what he did for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.